0: I'm Andrew Blumenfeld, and this is the Money in Politics podcast. We've spoken with a lot of folks on this show about their efforts to get money out of politics as part of their work to preserve and protect our democracy. My guest today, though, he takes a different approach, but he has the same ultimate focus, and ultimate goal in mind. Noah Mayer is a professional political fundraiser, and he views his work to get more money behind progressive political causes as also critical to our democracy. In fact, he is currently a fundraiser for an initiative called One for Democracy, which seeks to get people to pledge at least 1% of their wealth to empowering community organizers and specifically to defeating Donald Trump this fall. I'm excited to speak with Noah today about this initiative as well as the work he does to make sure that good causes and candidates have the resources they need so that they can run great campaigns, they can win, and ultimately they can make change. But first, we'll hear a quick message from Call Time AI.
1: You're listening to Money in Politics, brought to you by CallTime AI. Campaigning is hard. Why not make fundraising easy? Using automation and artificial intelligence, CallTime AI lets you fundraise five times faster with easy-to-use tools like instant donor research, automated voicemail drop, and donor scoring so that you are always calling the right person at the right time with the right ask. Go online to calltime.ai to schedule a demo and start your free trial today.
0: So I'm here now with Noah Mayer. Noah, thank you so much for joining us. It's my pleasure. Why don't we start with just having you share with folks a little about yourself, what you do, how you found yourself in your current role? (laughs)
1: The dreaded tell me about yourself question. Yeah, exactly. So I tell people I'm a redneck kid from Georgia, (laughs) born and raised there. I got politically active after getting kicked out of high school for being gay. Oh, wow. And, uh, you know, a lot of gay kids from Georgia have a very similar story. But ever since then, I've been fighting to make change. So kind of bounced around the country a little bit, working for and leading different campaign fundraising efforts for various candidates, mostly in red states. The ACLU asked me to move out to San Francisco. That's where I currently am to help them out with their mid-level donor program. And I very briefly took a stint away from politics to go work in Silicon Valley for a innovation consulting firm. But I I missed my first love. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But I missed it. So I hopped back in. And now you're
0: working for the One for Democracy initiative. Is that right?
1: Yeah, that's right. So I'm working on behalf of an initiative called One for Democracy. Basically, we're trying to encourage people to recognize the moment that we're in in 2020 and to make their philanthropy as generous as they possibly can in order to try to make a difference in this very, very important and impactful election.
0: And One for Democracy, that's a name that sort of describes a little about the kind of ask you're making of folks, right? Why don't you share with people where that name comes from?
1: Super simple. One for Democracy is a promise it's 1% of my net worth to try to protect the democracy that we have. And that can mean all sorts of different things. So we have a fund set up if folks want to get involved in that fund. But many people are getting involved in funds all over the place to try and we're encouraging them to also be part of One for Democracy and to make that 1% pledge. The most important thing is that we recognize the moment that we're in right now. And we believe that – this is the most impactful roi on philanthropy in the country right now is to invest in the electoral cycle in 2020 and so we're asking people to recognize this moment for what it is and to stretch their giving out and when did this initiative get started well it's been uh it's the brainchild of Mike and Suki Novogratz, uh, a family in New York and the brainchild of some of the amazing brilliant genius folks that work for them billy waterson xander schultz but really just kicked off recently. There was a bit of a soft launch, but then COVID-19 happened and everything got thrown up into the air. So I'd say the bulk of our fundraising has gotten started in the past month, month and a half or so.
0: And you say preservation of democracy, and obviously you just referenced the power of the electoral process. So my takeaway from that is that there's this big push to make sure Donald Trump is not the president come January. Are there efforts beyond that? Or is that sort of the singular goal in this moment?
1: We're very excited to have a talented group of advisors on the One for Democracy project, some of the most brilliant political minds in the country, and they are leading the strategy of the project, which is basically where do we think we can have the most ROI in terms of getting Donald Trump kicked out of office but also working on some of the other amazing stuff that's happening in the country right now, especially around grassroots organizers who are doing voter registration, anti-voter suppression efforts. There's a lot of black-led, queer-led, people of color-led organizations that are doing really cool stuff at the grassroots level. That's very impactful from an ROI standpoint too. So we're looking at, that's why I say One for Democracy initiative, because it's so many different pieces. There's a promise But there's also a 501c3, a 501c4, a 527, where you're able to help donors. Basically, we're able to make custom solutions for donors so that they're able to make the impact in the way that they want to make it this cycle.
0: And your role then is to lead a team that is doing the fundraising, that is helping the donors figure out where they want to put their dollars. Is that right? That's right. And the point you made about the most effective, high leverage use of their dollars being electoral, I I have a lot of thoughts about that as someone who has helped raise a lot of money in politics in the past, and it certainly resonates with me. But maybe for those who need more convincing than I, uh, just explain what's that pitch like? What's the pitch about why electoral politics is such a high leverage use of their dollars? What do you tell these folks when you're trying to convince them to take the pledge?
1: Yeah, I think it's a great question, and I'll start by backing up a little bit. Generosity is generosity, and it doesn't like if you're giving to good causes, you're giving to good causes. We're not competing with, and there's a million different fantastic folks out there. You know, ACLU, Planned Parenthood. We're not competing. There's also like Red Cross. You know, there's there's folks who are doing like really incredible work across the nonprofit sector. In my work as a donor advisor. I'm not ever trying to convince somebody to give to my organization at the expense of another organization. What I'm trying to convince them to to do is just to give, to forgo another vacation home, to forgo the Ferrari, to forgo the jet, to forgo whatever. Or, you know, this is a 1% for democracy, but it's not tied to net worth. So, you know, maybe forgo something that's much smaller, but that is very impactful to you if you have a smaller net worth. It could be $10 for some people the most important thing is to give and to give generously. Now, the things that I care about are things like climate change, things like women's rights, the rights of people of color, immigration reform, the rights of LGBTQ people. All of those things are impacted by electoral politics. And when you elect a politician, hopefully a good one, you're also allowing that person to expand their power exponentially. An example of this, there's a gentleman named Tony Thurmond in the state of California who is a public school superintendent. When Tony gets elected, he has impact in ways that we as donors can't even imagine because situations will come up like COVID-19 that we can't even think about. But because we elected somebody good, his decision making is actually what we're investing in rather than a particular cause. So I think that's true of our efforts to make sure Donald Trump leaves the White House, because I think the opposite is true, too. Somebody who's in the White House has exponential power to do negative things as well as to do positive things.
0: And what kinds of individuals do you find yourself making this pitch to? It occurs to me that I know you're located in the Bay Area, and especially somewhere like there, there's a lot of new wealth being created all the time with the tech industry in particular. So are you raising money in places like Silicon Valley, where you're trying to bring them into political giving, they're brand new to political giving? Or are you trying to find people who have already been sort of seasoned political givers, and you're just making the case about why they should give in this way at this time? Well, just tell us a little bit about what kind of people you're approaching with this pitch.
1: I wish I had a better answer for you. It's so all over the map. So although I'm in Silicon Valley right now, or I'm in the greater San Francisco area right now, the fund was started in New York, and uh, so many of our folks are very traditional New York investment bankers, hedge fund folks, but also sometimes families who have inherited wealth, who have generations of mechanisms for how to deal with that wealth. And then, of course, as you mentioned, we have folks who have generated new wealth recently in Silicon Valley, but also all over the country, and who are just kind of figuring out how to play in this space. And the great thing about political giving is that your impact scales in a way that's different than I think, say, giving to a college or university. And I think that for folks, especially who come from a tech space, who are interested in return on investment and who are much more metrics driven maybe than um, other philanthropists, you're able to actually say like, hey, here's results. We can tell that if we do X, Y, and Z, we win. If we don't do X, Y, and Z, we lose. So th- that's appealing to people. But I think part of it is just sharing the story of what we have going on. You know, we've talked to everybody from celebrities to very well-known philanthropists to people that I had never heard of until I talked to them. And everybody's saying the same thing right now. We're really concerned about the direction of the country. We really want to protect not only the White House, but the structure of voting and the structure of democracy in this country. And philanthropy is just the same thing as knocking on doors and organizing. All it is, some people's money is more valuable than their time. Some people's time is more valuable than their money. And for people whose time is more valuable than their money and they can't go knock on doors, they can have a much stronger effect by writing a check. So why wouldn't you? I think telling that story kind of resonates across old money, new money, whatever sector folks made their money in. Yeah. And I think people are really starting to pick up on that.
0: It definitely seems that one of the takeaways of this era that we're in is that there's a whole new universe of people who are realizing how important it is to be involved in all of the many ways that you can be involved in the political process including by giving. It's kind of always stunned me that there are a lot of people who are very generous when it comes to giving money to causes that they care about but they almost recoil at political giving. They they they've chosen to stay out of it and sort of keep their money in C3 nonprofits that maybe feel a little less controversial, maybe. But to your point earlier about the leverage factor and and also to your point now about the urgency of it all, I'm hoping that some of that comes together to create a shift in people's minds. And uh, it certainly resonates with me, this pitch uh, that you're making with this one democracy pledge that, you, you know, you really can't afford to abstain right now from any of it, including from political Giving. So it's resonating with me, but tell us, is it resonating with other people? How much success are you all having?
1: Oh, it's been extremely successful, but it sounds like I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like this frustrates you.
0: (laughs) That's right. It does. And I think that part of my frustration is that it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me that you have folks who go around saying how much they care about this cause or that cause, and I believe them, and I believe that they do. And in fact, they'll even step up and, and give money to a nonprofit that aligns with that cause, which is great. They definitely should. I don't want to take away from nonprofit giving. That can be really impactful. But to your point earlier, a single decision maker in government can have the capacity by their vote or their executive office, they can move hundreds of millions of dollars and sometimes billions of dollars. And there's just no amount of money that you're going to be able to give to a nonprofit that's going to come close to having that kind of impact. So so if it's something you care about, if it's a cause you really care about, I don't, I don't see how you justify not taking that step and putting your dollars behind the political campaigns that touch that cause. I'd like to just see people connect those dots a little bit more directly. And, and I like how it seems like that's what your work is all about. Am I projecting too much or, or is that kind of, of the goal here?
1: And I think it's true. I know you, you have a lot of listeners who are first time candidates or, you know, they, I think that's true at that level too. You're not somebody who's worth $100 million. The biggest impact you can have in the United States today is to run for office, period. And to win because running for office is useless unless you win. (laughs) And so set that aside for just a second. How do we win for office? How do we win our elections? Well, there is no consultant in the world who will ever tell you, hey, do less call time. Hey, raise less money. We have other things to concentrate on. No, raising money is the vehicle by which people win and lose elections across parties. It's the number one thing that is the predictor of somebody's election success is how much money they raise. So if that's the case and we know those things, then absolutely unequivocally, the most important work we can be doing right now is either running for office, giving away our money. Or enabling people to do those two things. Uh And so that's why I'm very privileged to be in this position. And we've had a ton of success with one for democracy. It depends on how you count, but somewhere between 20 and $30 million already. Our goal is $100 million. It seems like we'll probably surpass that. We also have just an incredible measure called defeat by tweet. Which you will hear about. It's launching nationally in a couple of days. But this is going to be an initiative where everybody can chip in a penny and nickel or dime every time Donald Trump tweets, and <laughs> then we'll all collect it together and send him a receipt. And uh, see so, you know, like, like little things like that make a huge difference. Running for office makes a huge difference, and it's like these numbers are giant. But they and I was just talking to before this call. I was just talking to somebody who works for a major university. These numbers are, you know. Nothing to what they're working with. Sure. But the system is exactly the same. Whether you're running a $10,000 race for city council or whether you're running this massive enterprise, call time is the same. Follow ups are the same. Prospecting, qualifying, asking, committing, thank yous. It's all the same. So, yeah, just really encourage everybody who's listening to this right now get involved in the money side of things. It seems scary. It's not.
0: Well, sort of along those lines, beyond just the scariness of it, which I agree, there is a lot of fear and anxiety about it. It's very human, I think. But there's also a partisan element beyond just that normal human anxiety. And that is that on the left, Democrats, we have villainized in a lot of ways everything to do with money and politics. And I think we paint with far too broad a brush because there's obviously a lot about money and politics that rightly should be villainized. But I think some of that spills over and gets kind of mixed in with some of the parts of fundraising that are very important and quite positive. The parts you're talking about, which are critical, really can be quite virtuous even if they're approached in the right way. So so tell me about that. How do you address that? How do you raise money for a progressive cause right now? And I know you've raised for progressive causes and candidates in the past. How do you do that while combating this notion that there is we ought to be skeptical about big dollars that are getting involved in politics at all.
1: Yeah. That's a, such a wonderful question. So, I am a radical on this front. I, I'm <laughs> moderate in most of my life. This one, I'm not. You know, my license plate is a vanity plate that says call time. My, <laughs> my, my Twitter bio says, you know how people say there's too much money in politics? That's my fault. I'm sorry. <laughs> But I'm not actually sorry, and I'll tell you why. <laughs> yes, please. This is about generosity. And when we, as and I say we here now referring to the left and referring to Democrats in general and progressives in particular, when we look at the world, we see there are massive inequalities. Think It's not right that a... Black person getting caught with crack cocaine has different sentencing than a white person getting caught with powder cocaine. Right? Like, there's inequalities all over the place, and it, especially in terms of the finances of this country. No question. However, we should not ever vilify the people that are giving money back to the community out of the generosity of their heart. It's been written about so negatively. And we run a really serious risk, first of all, a risk as a human being that somehow it's my job to tell you what to do with your money. And just because you have a lot of it, I don't think that's ever okay. I don't want someone to tell me what to do with my life. And, you know, I think it's the same, like, just on an ethical level, I think that's wrong. But also, on a practical level, Republicans are not having these conversations. So, by saying, hey, you should give less money, which is what you're saying by having these conversations. By saying, hey, you should give less money, what you're actually saying is, hey, Republicans should win more elections. And you got to really do some calculus before you're okay with that. As a Democrat, as a Republican, I assume you'd be fine with it. So, (laughs) yeah, the way that folks have vilified people giving away money, there are certainly people who are giving away money in a way that's like not great. And there are messy ways to give away money and there are clean ways to give away money. And we can have these conversations, but they're on an individual basis. Like I have a hundred thousand dollars. Where should I give it away? What are my priorities? What do I care about? And we as at the left, sometimes what we're saying is, hey, you gave $10,000 to save the puppies, but I wanted you to give $10,000 to save the kittens. How dare you? And that's just not an acceptable way to go about living. One final point and then I'll get off my soapbox. I worked (laughs) for an organization one time and in the Slack channel, uh, a new fundraiser chimed in and said, hey, I'm looking for books. Does anybody have any books on fundraising? And the first... Four or five recommendations that people posted were books about the, the horrors of philanthropy, the impact of bad philanthropy. I've read these books and like, and they're worth reading. They're good. You have to know what's going on. But it's the equivalent of saying like, hey, I'm a baseball player. Was anybody have any books to recommend about baseball? Yeah, here's why pitchers are the worst thing in the world. And <laughs> here's why, you know, the, Philanthropy is a mechanism. It's just like donor organizing. It's just like anything else. It can be done well. It can be done poorly but it's important that it gets done. So yeah, I have very little patience with that.
0: It's funny because, and I guess this will be the episode where I get up on my soapbox more than (laughs) once. Thanks for drawing me into that. But I... I'm struck by something as we talk here today, something that I've I've actually been thinking about for a long time, which is this question of how much should I be giving? How much should anybody be giving to political causes? And I think this this idea that one for democracy has of putting a specific number on it and making that actually a figure that's relative to one's own wealth, this 1% of your wealth figure, I think it's really interesting, it has a lot of appeal. But what I struggle with and what I've been thinking about for some time now is that I think maybe people who have a lot of money are actually not giving nearly enough. (laughs) And so here's some unsolicited advice, I guess, I I have for the One for Democracy initiative, although mostly tongue-in-cheek here, which is that it should be progressive scale, that someone who is making a lot of money should actually be doing a lot more than 1% of their net worth. And and, and don't get me wrong, sometimes you get floored. You hear that, oh my goodness, this big major philanthropist has put I don't know, a million dollars into a cause. And that's amazing how generous of them. And and no doubt, I don't disagree with that. It is incredibly generous of them. And it's terrific. And we could do great things, I'm sure, with that million dollars. But as a fraction of their net worth, in a lot of cases, that's the equivalent of most people listening right now chipping in 50 bucks or 100 bucks. So so it's very, very generous. It's something that we'll get a lot of value out of. But is it a stretch? Is it really that a great big reach has been made here. No, I think we have to push people to actually stretch and reach even further relative to what their own capacity is. I think this is all just a piece of that nuance that maybe gets left to the side of the conversation about money and politics and is there too much of it or is there too little of it? So, so ultimately, you know, I think we ought to applaud people who are trying to fix this structure, find ways to get money out of politics structurally. But as long as we're in the structure that we have now and you have to run campaigns and those campaigns cost money and those campaigns can affect real change in real people's lives, you got to put resources behind those values, then I think it's really important that we have organizations like One for Democracy that are helping people connect the dots and remind people that there's a lot at stake and it costs money. And we all have to stretch to do what we can relative to what we can to to help make that change. So, you know, I'm
1: sold. And that's it's it's because you're a good fundraiser. Like that's (laughs) like like between. Like the gap here, the gap that we're talking about, like, oh, why don't wealthy people give away more? You know, how many times the answer to that question is because they've never been asked? It's, It's, you know, I mean, the good fundraisers fill that gap. And the really sad thing in this country right now is the vast majority of fundraisers are white. And the vast majority of fundraisers are well connected already because most people don't even know that this is a job. Right. And so like what, what we have to do as fundraisers is teach and teach and teach and teach. Teach candidates, teach new fundraisers, teach donors. It's the, like, it's the most important work that we can do because you just said it exactly right. They're, the money is there we don't need people, there's not a desperate need for people to go out and earn more money in the stock market. No, you know, if they do, good for them. But like, that's not what we're crying out for. What we're crying out for is resources. And depending on how you measure it, there's about a $600 million fundraising gap or a funding gap this year in all these organizations who are doing this important voter registration work. Okay. Well, if we have a $600 million fundraising gap, it's our job as fundraisers to fill that gap and to teach as many people as we can how to join us in filling that gap.
0: So let me end there by asking you to leave us in a happier place. What do you envision as the work that still needs to be done to cultivate this next generation of donors and actually beyond just donors, a generation of people who are working together to make sure that progressive candidates have access to the funds they need to run credible and viable campaigns? What do we have to be doing to cultivate that?
1: Well, I think there's great tools out there. I'm a plug plug calltimes.ai. It's a fantastic tool. <laughs> I didn't pay him to do that. I know you're a, a sponsor. <laughs> I know you started. There really are. It's, it's, a, it's a wonderful tool. There are Thank lots you. of other tools out there that are great, some better than others. I have my opinions. So number one, get familiar with the tools that are out there to help you. Donor research tools. There's many, many of those. So you get a sense of what people can give. Number two, learn to ask. Everybody can ask. Here's how you do it. Hi will you make a personal commitment to give X by Y date? If you can say that same thing over and over again, uh, would you consider giving, making a personal commitment to give X by Y date? It doesn't matter what X is. It doesn't matter what Y date is. That one sentence and then just stopping and letting whoever you're talking to actually answer your question... That makes all the difference in the world. And there are more things that we can do. And I encourage everybody who's listening, if you want to, I'm sure emails will be somewhere in the description or something. But, you know, email me, reach out to me. It's my last name, my first name at gmail.com, M-A-I-E-R-N-O-A-H at gmail.com. Email Andrew, (laughs) email, email everybody, you know, that's even tangentially involved in this work, because we all love to talk about it because it's important.
0: Well, thank you for talking with me about it all today. I feel a little bit like I found a kindred spirit here. I appreciate you joining me. I appreciate all the work you do. I'll echo the call for all those who are listening to reach out to you, to reach out to me. Um, We can't leave all those Democrats out there running on our values hanging. We have to knock on doors for them. We have to make calls for them. We have to chip in our dollars for them. So I will end by asking you to point people in one other direction. Where can people go to make this pledge?
1: onefordemocracy.org, O-N-E-F-O-R, democracy.org. It does not matter how wealthy you are. If you are somebody who's just a regular Joe, you can still think about giving 1%. Talk to your family, talk to your donor advisors, talk to whoever does your political giving, uh, have them reach out to us. We're happy to do whatever we can to help you. Or if you're already giving at the 1% level, just let us know. And we're happy to, if it's okay with you, use your name to encourage other people to rise to the same level.
0: Terrific. Well, thank you again and thanks so much for all that you do.
1: The pleasure is mine. Thank you for having me. Stay up to date with the latest fundraising trends, forecasts and advice by going to the Calltime AI blog
0: at www.calltime.ai and follow us on Twitter at calltime AI.